90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, Episode 87. Today, mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with Kevin Eastman, former championship NBA basketball coach and author, who talks about the lessons learned over his 40-year coaching career and his book, Why the Best are the Best. Ken shares his thoughts on what it takes to be a champion and why it's so important to identify championship language with a culture. Ken's wisdom, thought process, and coaching style will leave you thinking differently in a positive way when thinking about creating a championship culture. Hey, Kevin, how are you? Doing great, Grant. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. I'm really excited to have you on my show. We're going to talk about your mindset as a professional coach and your whole journey uh, your 40-year-plus-year career in basketball, but mainly I want to talk about your book, which is incredible, called Why the Best Are the Best. So I'm really excited to talk about uh, your journey and just kind of get into your mindset and uh, learn more about your book. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, and hopefully along the way you're going to ask me some questions where I'm going to have to think a little bit deeper and it's going to allow me to uh, to improve as well. So I'm game. All right. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm going to do that. I'm sure I'm going to do that. And um, I want to start off my show with, with this question, and I start, start off all my shows with this question. So it's about mental toughness. So what does mentally tough mean to you? Gosh, a lot of things jump to mind. Um, I guess maybe the, the first thing is... Uh, being able to live in an, in an uncomfortable world. Mm. I guess people say being comfortable with being uncomfortable, but being able to, to live in that uncomfortable world, because we're going to have to be put in, well, we not have to be, we will be put into situations that are, may seem too daunting. Uh, it may be, we get too emotionally involved and we've got to have the mental toughness to kind of gear back a little bit. Um, so that would be, that would be one aspect of it. Um, I think mental toughness is the uh, the ability to to face a fear. Um, not that you're not afraid. I don't think that ever leaves us. But I take it a step further. You're not afraid to try this anyway. Uh, and try was always a really important word to me as as, as I was growing up. Um, and then even in sports, I mean, uh, we used to say to our our, our uh, Celtics and our Clipper players uh, when I was in the NBA, you know, uh, toughness isn't actually throwing the punch. Toughness is walking away from the fight because, you know, throwing the punch only helps you. It hurts the team. Walking away from the fight may hurt you a tad, but it helps 12 other guys because you didn't get kicked out of the game or, or suspended for the next two games, etc. So there are so many components of mental toughness. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me is just to think about those two words, mental toughness, because the more you think about it, the more you probably come up with, okay, in these situations, I have to be able to react this way. And I always believe uh, that, uh, you know, you've read the book. So, you know, one of the definitions that I have uh, for the word preparation is to be there before you get there. So if we can think of situations where we may have to have a little bit of toughness, Maybe it's even that silly little thing like, okay, double session tomorrow. I know the second session of practice is going to be so tough and I'm going to be so tired. It's going to be so hard. Okay, let me prepare for it now. 
when I'm fresh and let me give my mind some reminders or some triggers that when I feel myself slipping, wanting to give up or maybe wanting to throw that punch because I'm, I'm mad at that, that teammate and he just kind of uh, gave me a, a cheap shot. I've already gone through those things. So I would, I would encourage your listeners just to think about that concept or those two words, mental toughness. What does it mean to you? And uh, kind of prepare yourself for when you might need it during your, your day, your week, your month, your life. I love it because it's one of those words. Well, there's a lot of words out there that that you and I know what mental toughness means. We know what love means. We know what joy means. But we all have a different meaning to it. And I'm, I don't know, about 80, 85 episodes into this show. And everybody has a little bit of different uh, perspective or definition of mental toughness. That's why I love asking that. And, and I love kind of the three ways that you've kind of looked at mental toughness. And one of the things that I say about mental toughness, it's basically conquering the emotional hurricane. And it's essentially what you're saying. And for me, it's, it's getting into the middle of something that's uncomfortable. And the eye of the hurricane is where it's calm. And if we want to, if we want to be great, if we want to control the situation and bend with the situation and not break the situation, we have to get into our breath and be mentally tough. And it's dealing with, like you said, dealing with tough situations, chaotic situations, and overcoming it. So I, I, I think it's great. I love, I love your perspective on it. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about kind of get more intimate with mental toughness. When you think about your career as an athlete and as a coach, as an executive, is there, a, and I know there's a lot of them, but is there a specific story or a time where you had to be mentally tough? Can you share a specific story? Um, well, I, I think anytime you take the next step in your career, that's the component of uncomfortableness. You have to, uh, you have to publicly let it be known that you are ready for this. Uh, maybe it's your first head coaching job. So it could be each time that I actually, uh, took the next step in my career. Uh, I, I had to be mentally tough, but I think there are times, uh, especially in coaching and leadership where, uh, you, you have to be mentally tough to not throw the punch, but to walk away from the fight mm. because our profession is a public profession. Uh, so every time we win or lose, it's in the paper the next day. No, it's actually on Twitter, uh, a second after the horn goes off. So totally different than say when I started in this profession. You know, and it's unlike any other professions. It's not like, uh, you know, we all have friends who maybe are doctors. It's not like, you know, what I often say to them, what if your results got put into the thing the next day? Uh, four operations this week, three people died, one in intensive care. That's not a good week for you. So, but it, we're, the, we're not, they're not like ours. Ours are put in every single, every single day. So being able to be mentally tough to when you're in that post-game interview and your team has just played horribly, um, you know, uh, still maintaining composure, still providing hope for your team, still not individually attacking maybe even that player who just didn't do anything you had worked on all week in practice. That has to be a component of leadership, uh, mental toughness, or uh, your company's kind of, uh, you know, profits are sinking. Uh, your board is, is, uh, is on your case the whole time. You're still the leader. Everyone's still looking at you to provide guidance of what should we what should we uh, mimic 
as we're going through this difficult period, uh, because what we see is probably what we're going to do. Um, and I, gosh, I don't know how many interviews I've been in uh, or, or, or public settings where I had to just kind of, uh, before I went up to the podium, just say, hey, hey, now uh, gather yourself here. Right. You know, and it all, you know, in those cases, it's being mentally tough in terms of your emotional intelligence. Right. And, I, you know, I, I always talk about uh, does this need to be said? Does right. it need to be said by me? And does it need to be said like right now? <laughs> right. Uh, and I always try and, you know, so for me, uh, that was mental toughness. Um, it took a little bit of mental toughness uh, for me to uh, uh, step away from the NBA and go into the, the speaking that I'm doing right now. I knew I wanted to do it. I had a passion for it. Uh, thought I could be, you know, okay at it. Uh, but it, it was such a, a nice life. You're making a good salary. Uh, you're at the highest level of your profession. Uh, so it took a little bit of, you know, Hey, if you're going to do this, you got to jump in all the way. You got to be tough because it may not be easy early on. Uh, so I, I think all of us can probably come up with examples of things that have happened to us where we had to, uh, just kind of say, you know what, just put your nose down and, 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 and you work your way through this or, uh, just take your, your, your one finger, put it. Uh, perpendicular, uh, perpendicular to your two lips and say to yourself, shh, don't say that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Be mentally tough. Don't say that. Yep. You know, it's uh, two things come up. You know, when I was growing up, my dad, and I, I, I'm a Michael Jordan fan. I think he's one of the best competitors in all sports. But, uh, you know, just his competitiveness on the court and how he handled the media after games, it's just my dad would like he would point out on TV. He's like, look at the way that he's handling the media. Like after a bad game, after a great game, and it was just, um, you know, the mental toughness because the spotlight was on him every day. Like you're talking about, the sport is is everybody's covering something on basketball every day. And so when I was thinking about that, I'm like, wow, you know, I mean, we all know that he's pretty mentally tough, Michael Jordan. But that that sh- kind of came up for me. But but I love your your definition of mental toughness of not taking the punch and and walking away from the fight and i don't mean this to be funny but like when you kept on saying that ron artest came up for me it's like maybe he what if he knew about that 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 definition or that mantra or that just that perspective of mental toughness you know would he would he have gone in, into the stands and attacked somebody or snapped in the middle of that game um because it happens, you know, when you're when you're playing a game full of passion and, and there's a lot of competitiveness, you know, the ego gets involved. But I, I just I think that's I haven't heard that yet on my show that mental toughness is about not taking the punch and it's about walking away from the fight. I think it's great. It's beautiful. Yeah, and and and, and really actually not throwing the punch, you know, because throwing the punch helps you. It it gets some angst out of your body. Uh, who knows, maybe it remedies the situation because you actually knocked that guy out. I, you know, who knows the outcome, but, uh, the, the real toughness is the ability to walk away from the fight. Cause very seldom do fights really help solve problems, right. uh, whether they be verbal fights or, or physical fights. Um, and you know, you mentioned, uh, Michael 
and uh, I've had the, the good fortune of, of being around Michael a, a number of times and working with him in, in, in a camp setting. And um, uh, I always remember the story of this one player who uh, this player actually missed 25 last second shots, last shot of the game to help his team win the game. And of course, no one wants that player on their team, right? Well, that player was actually Michael Jordan. So uh, what people might say is, oh, wow, he missed 25 last second buzzer beating shots. I don't see it that way. I see it as, wow, he had the toughness to take that same shot the 13th time after the 12 other times it didn't work. That's what I see in that. The mental toughness to know that you could be the goat just as easily as you might be able to be the hero. But because you're the best player and that's your role, you have to step up, be mentally tough. And the mental toughness comes in is when you're the goat, you got to take all the stuff that goes with that. Right. Uh, and we're all in those situations, maybe not that public, but um, sometimes as a manager of a, of, of a sales group, obviously a manager also has someone above them. And sometimes they have to make decisions with their team and it doesn't work. And maybe it doesn't work because of something one of their team members did. So that manager has a decision. He can or she can live in the world of accountability or live in the world of blame. And to, it takes mental toughness to live in the world of accountability. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. So, um, so I think each and every day that we go into work, there are going to be uh, mental toughness challenges. Some of them may not be as tough, but they're probably going to be coming at us. Um, and you even met with, with Ron Artest. Uh, you know, that's why we all have to continue to be on a seek and find mission. Seek and find new ways to do things. Seek and find new ways to think. Seek and find uh, new ways to say things. So if we stop, then all we know is what we know and we don't know enough. So maybe had Ron uh, listened to this podcast, heard you and I talking about this, you know, maybe maybe that didn't happen. Who knows? But. Right. I know one thing, if we continually try to learn, we'll have opportunities to maybe learn that one thing that's going to keep us out of that really, really difficult situation. It may even be career uh, ending. Absolutely. You know, and I love it that you're, you're bringing up, um, you know, the, the story about Michael, about going, you know, 0 for 12, you know, buzzer beaters. Because when I'm working with athletes, when I'm having them to have a different relationship with failure, because we all need to, we all know that, you know, you need to fail to succeed. I mean, that's just part of the process. And so, you know, there's times where I bring up the situation, you know, it, it's a scenario that I bring up. If, if you're a, a basketball player in the middle of a game, your shot's off, you're 0 for 12, and there's three seconds left, or let's say it's five, six seconds left in the game, and the ball is in your hand, are you going to pass it? because you're afraid that your, your shot's off? Or are you going to show up in the moment, be vulnerable, and trust yourself and shoot it? And, and so I asked that question to a lot of people, and, and there's a lot of these high school athletes who are like, no, I'm going to dish it off. And I'm like, why? What happens the next day when you wake up the next morning? Let's just say you missed this shot, so you're, you're 0 for 13, and you actually lost the game. 
you wake up in the morning, you can feel a little bit better about yourself because to me, that's success in that moment. Even though you're 0 for 12 and you're trusting, that's success. You're trusting yourself. What if you dished it off and you woke up the next morning and you guys still lost and you could have been like, hmm, you're questioning yourself and now you have to live with the fact that you didn't show up and you weren't vulnerable in the moment and that you missed an opportunity to be successful. So it's looking at these little things that, that are success and I want to ask you, how important is it to have a relationship with failure when striving for success? Oh, I, I think you have to, uh, because uh, whether you believe failure is part of success or not part of success, it, it, it's going to happen. And uh, to me, you, you have a fundamental decision to make when you're looking at this concept of failure or this word uh, failure. Uh do you treat it as fear of, or do you treat it, and, and I kind of use your terminology as well, as a relationship with? And if it's a relationship with, that means you're learning from. Like all the relationships I'm in, I'm learning from. So, and the things that I think failure uh, uh, teaches us is is we, ha- we have choices. That's the good part about failure, once it happens. Uh, we can let it stop us. Or start us. We can treat it as devastation or education. Or we could treat it the way, uh, and Nick Saban even said this uh, after their loss to LSU uh, this past Saturday, but it's been a philosophy of his and his programs forever. Never waste a failure. So a good friend of mine is a, is a, is a college basketball coach and they just happened to beat uh, last night. As a matter of fact, they beat a a top 25 team. And, um, so I texted them this morning, uh, a, uh, great job. Uh, uh, but understand this is a long season. You're only on game three or four. So you got to remind your guys, there's three things that can happen after a game. You have won, you have lost, or you have learned. Yeah. And with we want the first one, winning. We don't want the second one, losing. But we have to have the third one, and that's learning. No matter what happened, number one, number two, didn't matter. we got to have the third. So I go back to you and I were talking about Michael. I'll, I'll go back to something uh, Michael said to me at one of these events we were doing together. He said, you know, uh, what a lot of people don't understand, especially good players and good teams, is that success doesn't stop once you get there. And failure isn't permanent once it happens. Right? It's how you treat it. Right. So, like, even that last second shot, you know, that, that example you were talking about, should that high school kid take the shot or not take the shot? Some of that is situational, Right. So I always go back with those players and say, okay, the decision you made, let's, let's break this down. What was the intent? Was the intent you didn't take the shot because one of your good shooters had a better shot closer in and there was time to make the pass and for him to take the shot? I get that. But if your intent was to get out of something versus, not, uh, versus doing something better, no, 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 no. We got to work with this. Right. That's you good. can't. You, you, you can't be scared uh, because that's, you know, the two toughest opponents we face, like in the NBA, all those years, years we won it, 
in Boston in uh, 2008, the year he won the title, our toughest opponent wasn't like the Miami Heat or the Golden State Warriors, the Toronto Raptors, or the or the Cleveland Cavaliers when when they were good with with, with LeBron. Our our toughest opponents were two: success and failure. Like, how do we deal with each one of them? Because both of them can beat you, uh-huh. and they're smart. They're really smart teams. Success is a really smart team, and and its and its best player is complacency. And and failures, a, a, a hard team to beat because uh, their best players are doubt, fear. Right. So we got to basically your biggest opponent is human nature. No matter what line of work you're in, and how do you deal with with each of those? And that's what we would always talk to our guys about. Hey, we lost, but remember, guys, we can win. There's winning. There's losing and there's learning. Number three has to be there at the end of every game. And we hope number one's there a lot <laughs> because then we're coaching you again next year. <laughs> Somebody else isn't. So uh, oh. anyway, oh, so just, man. you know, a little, a little, a little deeper into that. No, I love it. I, I, I love it. And, you know, when we talk about the relationship with, with, you know, failing and succeeding, you know, there's, there's all these really great terms and so when we, when we, the way that I look at it, when we look at failing, or actually when we think about winning and succeeding, it's it, energetically, it's, it's above us because, you know, we, we write a high when everything's going good. Oh, I feel good. So winning and succeeding can be, you know, energetically above us or in front of us. And then when we lose or fail, you know, oh, I failed, oh, I lost. It's, it's more mm. the energetic pull is downward. So... I always, you know, I, I try to like, how do we actually that emotional roller coaster ride that if we're, if we're chasing the wins and the losses and failing and succeeding, how do we shorten that, that roller coaster ride? So you're not on an emotion, you know, going mm. up and down. Right. So it, it's, it's having us to have a different relationship with fail failure. And I like to say fail up. Cause if we know if, if, mm. if we're winning and if succeeding is above us or in front of us, but let's say above us and we know we have to fail and to learn from it so we can be successful, then we're failing up or we're failing forward. And so that's kind of my little twist on having these pe- you know, having mm-hmm. these athletes to reframe what failure is all about. Love it. Yeah, I love that. So, man, this is a note right now. All right. I love it. I love it. Well, let's let's talk about your book because your book is, is fantastic. Um, again, your book is Why the Best Are the Best. What was the motivation in writing this book? Um, you know, very basic. To help people get to where they want to go. Maybe even help them get there a little bit faster and a little bit better. And there's nothing wrong with either of those. Everyone says, well, no, no, it can't be fast. Well, yes, it can if it's right. Like, I hope a young person who reads this book can maybe get to where they want to go with their dreams and goals a little faster than I was able to do it and hopefully even a little bit better. And then, uh, the, 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 the strategy was to try and simplify it in such a way that it was not just understandable. It was immediately insertable into people's lives. And, um, like I, my, my goal wasn't when people got done it to say, wow, 
that he really made me think that was so intricate. I, I, he's really smart. I didn't care about that. What I cared a lot about is not that they'd say, Oh man, he must be really smart to be able to write a book like this. I wanted them to say, wow, this is so simple. I can use this right now. That was my whole goal. Uh, it was more about the reader, uh, than it was with me. The only goal for me was, Hey man, you've been talking about a book for a while. Your wife's been killing you every week. Like, Oh yeah, you're going to write a book. Yeah, sure. Uh, wake me up when you write it, you know, sort of thing. And she was terrific with it. As a matter of fact, I remember one time uh, I would do all these things. And one time I showed her, uh, Hey, her name is Wendy. Hey, Wend, I got, I got the cover for the book. She said, that's great, but uh, I think the people are really more concerned about what's inside of it, and you got nothing in there. So, you know, <laughs> it, it was constant reminders like, hey, you're going to do So it was a challenge of, hey, this little kid from Haddonfield, New Jersey, who doubted himself when he was young as a player, doubted himself when he first got into coaching. Are you good enough? Can you do this? Uh, can you deal with failure? Hey, the challenge of trying to, to write a book. Uh, so those are kind of the things that, that I guess propelled me and spurred me on, but it's, it's just like you, whenever your next book comes out, it's like with my book, everyone asks, how long did it take you to write? Well, actually the manuscript that I put together mm -hmm. didn't take that long because I was head writing it for 35 years. Right. I was writing it in my head and, um, actually seeing it with my eyes and hearing it with my ears before I actually went to the computer and started typing. Wow. I love it. Yeah. That, that was the same, not as long cause my, my career wasn't as long as yours, but like I probably had f almost four or five years of it in my head. And so when it was a time to like sit down and just put it all out there, it was, um, it was freeing. And it was, and again, it was another opportunity just to be vulnerable and not to like worry about what it looked like. Just get it out, get all your thoughts out, get all the stories and antidotes and all the, just get it out. And it was just, um, as much as it was, it was a cool process to me it was freeing because it had been sitting in my head and my chest for a long time. And now I got it out. I got it out on paper. So mm -hmm. it was a really cool experience. Yep. Same way. Yeah. Same way. I totally understand. So what I love about your book, not only, you know, you're talking a little bit about your story and your background, but your book is essentially based off 25 power words. And this struck me because almost each word has its, has, you know, it does have its own meaning, but it has its own chapter. And when I'm working with programs, I have this part of my program called Champion Talk. It's what champions, what they say and they don't mm. say. And the words that you use, mm. man, it, it allows me to like to expand on that. But these words, again, they're words that we all know, but we all have different meanings to it. And these words are, are a fabric into someone's mindset, a fabric into someone's culture. And uh, they could be core values and principles. I mean, I love them. And I'm, I'm going to read them. So it's going to take me some time, but they're 25 power words. And these words that you've come up with are truth action, intentional, preparation, accountability, trust, sacrifice, discipline, commitment, belief, 
unrequired choices, circles, competition, passion, habits, urgency, standards, courage, curiosity, which I love, respect, adjustment, humility, investment, and talent. I mean, I, I love those words. How did you come up with those 25 words? Well, in, in those 35 years of, 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 of reading books, reading articles, listening to, to interviews, watching YouTubes, uh, having discussions, having arguments, having debates, observing people, uh, I, I come to find out, because I've always wondered why people are good at what they do. So as I started putting all this together and really going back and, and, and rereading and, 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 and rethinking about conversations, looking at my notes, certain words always popped up when I was talking with some of the better people in their fields. So I said, let me really start to just jot things down that I see a lot. So I started with 92. And then I started to whittle that down because I thought 92, that book is going to be, you know, <laughs> uh, thicker than the, uh, you know, an unbelievable author's book would be. So I said, I can't do that. So as I started to whittle them down, some were very similar in nature. So I could incorporate maybe the second word, not the one I use, but another word into the description of the word I actually use of the 25. So anyway, it got to 25. And then um, the person I was working with, the editor who, who was helping me, uh, who you know well, uh, he, he, he's really, really good. And um, he asked me one time, he said, let's rank these in order. And I said, I can't do that. <laughs> he said, why? I said, because on any given day, one's more important than the other. It's just when these words pop into your life, how are you going to use them? What do they mean to you and how can they help you in this situation? So I said, I can only rank what I want first and what I want last. In between, I can't rank them. And that's why truth, to me, is the single most important word in all of success, no matter what your craft or what you're doing or what your profession. And then talent is last because I don't want people to think that talent is the is the end all and the only thing that can get you where you want to go in life. Uh, so, but the words themselves, that's how they came about. Um, and, uh, the, the thing I say is that they're, they're, they're truly, and I call them power words because I do believe there are power in words that we use, but only if we use them properly, mm. like you said, people will know these words because they've heard them all. And people actually will have almost all of them in their, mm, I'll say, monthly vocabulary. But the best of the best and why the best are the best, they don't have these words just in their vocabulary. They actually live these words each and every day. Mm. They're committed to these words each and every day. That's when these words can be your triggers and can work for you. Uh, but the other thing is, as you read them down, Truth, action, intentional preparation, trust, accountability, sacrifice, discipline, commitment. They're common words and people say, oh, yeah, we talk about them all the time. So when people say they talk about them all the time, that means ah, they're not important anymore. They're old school. Well, I would ask those same people in their companies, do me a favor. Take all those words, put them on a whiteboard, but leave a little bit of room to the left of each word. 
So hopefully your, your listeners have this picture in their mind of these words on a whiteboard. And there's a little room on the left. And we're going to put a two-letter two word in front of each of those words that we put down. And then tell me if this is the type of company you want to work with. So now we go down these words you just said. The two-letter word is spelled N-O. What if there was no truth in your company? What if there was no action ever taken in your company? What if there was no intentional thought to what you do each year? What if there was no preparation by your salespeople before they go out to sale, uh, make a sale? What if there's no trust among your team members? What if there's no accountability and everything is all about blaming someone else? What if there's no sacrifice in our company? Hmm. What if there's no discipline and you go on and on and all of a sudden, wow, that two simple two-letter word actually just brought to all of us that these words are really important because they're most important when you don't have them and you don't live them. So anyway, I got off on a pedestal there. So no, that's bring me back down to the, bring me back down to the floor. That's, uh, I love it. It, it just putting that no in front of it. No, I don't, I, I don't want that. I like mean, you know what I mean? When you were saying that I was putting myself in, in, in that position, like, no competition, no passion, no habits, no, no urgency. I'm, whoa, that's like lifeless. And so, again, when, when you think about these words, there's so much power to them. And typically when, when, what I do is to bring life to these, to these words and also intention. We're going to talk about being intentional more in the show. But when I'm, when I'm working with teams and athletes to set their intention, I want them to actually, and, and sometimes these, these can be intentions, right? I mean, when you want to compete, man, today my intention is to compete full out. Okay, so what does that look like and what does that feel like? I need to have these athletes and performers to, to really connect with that. Once you know what it looks like and what, what it feels like, then we're going to breathe on it. Then we're going to connect our breath. We're going to get really present right now where our feet are, and we're going to connect with our intention because now you know what it looks like. Now you know what it feels like. And as soon as you do that, this road actually it, this road actually unfolds in front of you. That is your guide for your competition. That is your guide for the day, just because you connect it to what it looks like and what it feels like. So when, when I think of these words like urgency and courage and curiosity, it's like, man, I, I like to think about what does that look like and what does that feel like with the goals and with, with what I want to do and achieve today. So I think it's awesome. That's really good. Really good. Yeah, I, I like, see, I, you do a much better job of being able to actually get it down to more, okay, uh, taking it to the athlete's life and athletic career. And I, I think that's terrific. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, I want to bring this up, and I'm, I'm trying to remember this in my head because I, I read this in your book, but the word passion, because, we, again, another word that we, we bring up a lot, um, P.J. Fleck, who's the head coach for the Minnesota, University of Minnesota football team, there's a quote that how he defines what passion is. And I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly what it is. Um, do you remember that? It's, um, yeah, and uh, well, uh, I guess first off, uh, in regard to, to him, I mean, he, he lives it each and every day, right? I mean, you saw him after... Um, after they won the other day, yeah. did you see that YouTube? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your, your, your people have to, uh, um, 
they have to go, they have to look, they have to look that YouTube up because it, it really exemplifies uh, exactly what in this case he believes passion is all about, you know, cause he's got all those other words as well that he lives each and every day. But the word passion, I think for him is one that um, he just exudes and, and passion uh, it's contagious. And for, for him, what passion meant was, and I, and I love this definition when love and purpose collide, <laughs> that's passion. And when you watch him do that sprint, it, he, he actually could tell he, he's loving being in the moment for what his team just accomplished. Um, uh, and then when he makes his jump into the air and, and actually all the players catch him and he kind of surfs through them, yeah. he literally collides with them. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's really good. And, you know, to, to, to me, it's, it's, it's almost an inside, like I always say, it's like an inside pull, right? It's something inside that, that, that's pulling at you. And, it, it, and, and passion's generated from like this incredible love you have for something. And, you know, to me, what, what the best part about passion is it can push you past the impossible, right? It can, it can get you past those things that you know, you can't do because, but, but, but you love it so much. You're going to give it the best try you got. And sometimes the best try gets you over the hump. Yeah. It's the not try that kills us. A hundred percent. Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, man, I, I can talk about these words with you all day long. Um, but for the sake of this, I want to make sure there's other great questions that I want to ask you and pick your brain on. Uh, obviously being a mental performance coach, mental skills training is at the forefront of what I do. So when you think about what it takes to be the best, how important is it for an athlete or a program to adopt mental skills training? Um, well, I, I think our game is so much mental, especially in this in this world of social media, because it, uh, social media now is bringing a total different component in that can mess with our minds. And uh, I think that we had to figure out how to uh, cre create a mind that is clutterless and noiseless and 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 create a filter that that can only listen to what is it going to take today for me to help our team accomplish our goal? And the, that, that mental toughness, knowing that failure is going to be there, embarrassment is going to be there. Um, unless you play a sport that only takes place with yourself in your closet and no one ever sees or hears about it, then you're okay. <laughs> right. But most of them are not that way. Right. Um, because look, we, we all need help and I'm the worst at saying I need help. Uh, Wendy, my wife always says, you know, you know, you like, sometimes you need help too. You know, you don't know everything. And, and she's right. I just don't want to tell anyone that. Mm. Uh, but uh, my point is this, we, if the game is so mental, then how come we don't have a, a, a coach or at least a consultant that can come in and, and take us through maybe some exercises that can make us that can improve us when the mental part is called upon for us to execute that day, that second, that game. 
So I, I 100% believe uh, in what you're doing. Beautiful. You know, I, I believe with you. I, I believe that, you know, all sports is mental. And I, I think we're getting it from a, from a, from a society perspective, I think that we're, we're – because we hear the word mindset a lot. We're hearing uh, mental performance and mental skills. We're hearing that a lot. It's like it's getting more ingrained into our language. I don't think we're where we need to be, uh, but we're getting there. And I think with, um, you know, Major League Baseball has been – they've been pushing this for a long time. I think they're probably – besides the Olympics, I think that um, – Major League Baseball is on the forefront of, of really making this a a part of the culture of baseball. And I think NBA is, is slowly following that. And um, hopefully, you know, you have, you know, the NFL, which I think is probably behind, um, you know, the NBA and Major League Baseball. But but I think we're, we're heading in the right direction. We just need to keep on, uh, you know, fighting the good fight and preaching the mental gospel. Yeah, and I think sometimes people, they – they put definitions to words uh, too quickly, right? Even though I'm a, a big guy on words, it should be thought about a little bit. Mm. Like anytime you hear the word mental, uh-oh, that's not me. I'm not letting anybody mess with my head. Really, you know, what you can do is help a guy create a separator for himself Yeah, that will allow him to separate from everyone else, almost like a separation coach, right? Like <laughs> if you do these things, you have a chance to separate yourself because I always say there's givens and there's separators and the best of the best, they figure out what those separators are. Right. Uh, like an example. So I don't want to, you know, inflame any debate from your listeners about, uh, how they were raised and their parents, but actually their parents and my parents, they lied to us. Uh, they told us that hard work would get us anywhere we want to go in life. Not in today's world. It's too, too competitive. Uh, hard work is the given. It's the price of admission to get in the door to wear that uniform or to work at that company. It's the price of admission. It's the given. Everybody works hard now who gets into those jobs. Yeah. So if that's the given, what's the separator? The separator is what Kevin Garnett taught me. It's the unrequired work. It's that work you don't have to do, but you do, and it separates you from everyone else. So the best of the best, they figure out what the separators are. And one of the separators for athletes in today's very, 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 very public environment is your mind. How do you prepare for things? How do you deal with things? Uh, how do you help others? Uh, you know, uh, what is your mindset, Right. Mindset is what you want to have. Mental coach is the person who tells you how to get it. Mm. That's the way I look at it. I love it. I love it. You know, and I, I love when you're talking about, you know, doing the extra things, doing things when no one's looking. And I, I call that actually doing, doing your work in the dark, whereas nobody's seen you doing the extra reps. No one's seen you waking up early and, and that does obviously that get you prepared and that builds up confidence and you're working on your craft. But I also, like when we talked about preparation, you know, your preparation is your separation. So you're like, you're talking about that separate, the separators, you're separating yourself from your opponents. You're separating yourself from fear, self doubt, because the more you're prepared, the more confident you are. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Yeah. I actually never 
thought about the separation from fear. So I'm going into that talk slowly mode where I'm actually writing something I just learned. <laughs> I love it. So, uh, love it. so fill some time if you can while I write this down. All right, great. Well, one thing that you do talk about in your book that I, I, it's real because it, not only is it was it real for me as an athlete when I played football, but I see it all the time. And you talk about the three battles, which is fear, failure, and limitation, which I think is very real. Um, how do you coach these battles when you're working with an athlete? Yeah, I, I, well, I think that the, the biggest thing is you have to let them know that it happens with everyone. Uh, fear, doubt, embarrassment, uh, putting limitations on yourself. Uh, you know, they're all... I believe self-induced thoughts and self-talk, if either of those terms make sense. Oh, yeah. It's what, you know, uh, John Gordon, you probably know John, or at least know of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does, a, you know, he's written a lot of books, bestsellers. Um, he speaks to, obviously, a lot of corporations as well as a lot of sports teams. And uh, he said you have to make a fundamental decision. What are you going to do? which one's going to be more powerful? What you say to yourself or what you're listening to from yourself. In other words, if you just listen to your mind all the time, it's probably going to be all about doubt, negativity. Mm. I can't, there's no way. Yes. But if you, if you take, if you frame the conversation, uh, I can do this. Now I always, I've talked to John about, okay, there's, there's something that I think has to follow. I can do this. And that is if I do this, like I can learn a new language. If I spend time learning it two hours a day, you know, there's something that has to follow. It can't be all fluff. Like, Oh, I want to make a million dollars and boom, a million dollars is in your bank account the next day. Or wow, I want a beautiful garden. It's all full of weeds right now. It doesn't like that doesn't change on its own. There needs to be action. So, you, yeah, yeah, there has to be action uh, and, and committed action, yeah. right? Committed action. And there has to be a lot behind it. There has to be research on how do you get there. Uh, there has to be uh, knowledge gathered uh, on, on, on that particular thing that you want to accomplish. So there's all there. But I think the biggest thing is to know that uh, you're not alone. Everyone has fear. Everyone doubts themselves at times, and everyone probably has self-limiting thoughts. But the only person who can truly change that is is you, is me. It's, it's our individual self. Had that we talked about the relationship of fear, so let's not even. You know, I always say about fear. Hey, most of us fear the consequence of failure because it'll embarrass us, right. turn our ears red, right? <laughs> so if you fear the consequence of failure. I'm going to ask all your listeners, if you fear the consequence of failure, do all of us a favor. Most importantly, do yourself a favor. Put equal fear to the consequence of never trying. Right. What happens if you tried and it worked? And you're, they can't see me, but I'm a living example of that. I was scared to death to go into the NBA because everyone wants to coach Kevin Garnett and Hall of Fame players and all-stars, the people that I coached. But guess what? They put Hall of Fame and all-star demands on your knowledge. Right. And if you don't have that level of knowledge, they may not listen to you. Because they don't have time for someone who sort of knows the NBA. They're trying to win a championship. 
Like, hey, Doc, Doc Rivers, hey, wh- why'd you bring in this guy? He don't know squat, right? So it's nice to want to be there, but you have to know when you get there, you, 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 you better. <laughs> so I tried, and had I not tried, I wouldn't be on your show right now. Right. I wouldn't have been able to, to learn all those lessons from Doc Rivers, Eric Spolster. I've been with Sean McVay, Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, you know, all these guys that I've had an opportunity to, to be with and talk to and discuss some of the things we're discussing today. Um, had I not tried, none of these things would have happened, uh, which means I know that I'm going to, I'm going to doubt myself sometimes. Hey, when I walked into Nick Saban's office, I was like, okay, can I give him some good stuff? Right. Right. Like, why would he want to talk to like this kid from Haddonfield, New Jersey? So I put some self-limiting thoughts into my head even before I went there. And people might look at me and say, well, gosh, he's pretty successful in what he's done. Well, I, I, I got fear. I got doubt. I, I still sometimes tell myself some limiting things, but it gets back to that mindset. I know once that kicks in, I start to think about, okay, okay, no, 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 no. Think about all the, the, you should believe in yourself. You should have an ego. Now there's a loser's ego and there's a winner's ego. The loser's ego is when it's all about me. Yep. The winner's ego is I should feel confident. I should feel good about where I am because of all the work, all the research, all the hours, all the, uh, as you put it, the, the dark gyms that I've, I've practiced my craft. I should feel good about this. So I'm turning this fear into a, if, if, at the worst, it's going to be a healthy fear. It's going to keep me on my toes when I get in there. It's not going to be a debilitating fear. I don't belong in Nick Saban's office. And then you come and find out he's read your book, <laughs> right? Had I known that beforehand, I'd have walked in like with a pep in my step, right? But you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. But you feed what you feed into your mind. So if we can feed into our mind that I have done the work I deserve to believe I should have an ego, but it's a winner's ego. And the winner's ego is all a lot. That's allowed to happen because of all the work you put in behind it. Big time. So anyway, yeah, big time. It's, it's, it's when you think about it to empower yourself with, I love this word or words is I get to do this. I get to talk to Nick Saban. I get to Mm. work in the NBA, I get to. And that just, that to me, whenever I have fear, a lot of times when I'm going to, you know, speak in front of a lot of people or a team I've never worked with before, you know, the three things, the self-talk, see, I, I've learned how to talk to my thoughts and not listen to them. Because you're, like you're saying, once you start listening to your thoughts, you're actually in the effect of your thoughts. You're in, th- you're in the effect of self-doubt that could lead to self-doubt. Mm. And you're out of control. Mm-hmm. So... Once you can get into control and get into empowering yourself with these words, I get to do this, they want to hear me, and tap into your joy. Those are the three things that I say to myself mm. all the time. Before, and, it, and it could be the same team that I work with on a weekly basis. I'm in my car right before I get out. I say those, things, those three things about four or five times. Even though I, I have the relationships built, even though I know the coach, the team, but it's just part of my process. It's part of my routine that allows me to just stay confident and just stay within the my the fabric of who I am. So it's huge. And, and when you talk about the the negative self talk, you talk about trying like or not trying. There's a cool acronym for I can't. 
So when I, especially when I hear someone say, hey, I, I can't do that, the, the acronym is I certainly always never try. I can't. Mm. So it's like for some reason when I hear the word, now I know that I can't, there's context to it. It depends on the context of it. But, but I always like when someone says I can't, I'm like, well, then you're not trying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that word can't it made me think of something. I think he'd be fine with this. But uh, when Davo Sweeney goes up in front of his on, you know, they have a little bit of a stage because obviously it's a big auditorium with uh, 150 plus football players or whatever they have, right? right? And staff. So he's got a little podium there. And on the front of the podium are, if you can picture someone as uh, taking a piece of wood and carved out two words. Well, one of the words is can't. And there's a big X that goes through the letter T. And that's, that's what he, that's the mindset he wants. We may not know, but we can try. Mm. <laughs> we, we, right? But can't, we're, we're, no, losers add the T. Right. Winners eliminate the T. And it's just a, a, it's just a visual every time uh, that he's speaking. They see that at the front of the podium standing real tall. And then if you follow Dab at all, another big word in their organization or their, their culture is believe. You have to believe in each other. You have to believe in the plan. You have to believe in everything about what you're doing. That's the other word that's up there on the podium. So those kids, every day they come in because they meet every day. And I think he even takes those two words on the road with them. Wow. And when he's at a hotel, boom, they go up. Wow. Right. And I, I think I haven't talked to him about it, but I, it, I don't think it's false belief. You know, he's, a, he's, a, he, he, he's a Christian and, 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 uh, but I don't think he thinks that like the only reason they're winning is because of what's coming down from heaven. I think the belief is, yeah, we want to believe, you know, from a Christian standpoint, but we also want to believe in what we do every day. We deserve to be here because of the work we've put in and the everyday mentality that we have in this program. Right. So, um, you know, you just, as you go around, you just see things. Um, that's the fun part. Uh, you know, at some point I'm going to take all the pictures I took uh, in my three years of, 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 of really going into the speaking thing hard. And I take pictures of all the walls and everything, all the words that people have. I'm going to just list them one day and just see how many <laughs> of them are like consistent. Like I have so many pictures in my phone. Uh, matter of fact, I'm glad I did this podcast. I'm going to make myself do that now. All right. That goes on my to-do list. Beautiful. What else you got? All right. <laughs> well, you know, it's when we talk about limitations, when you're bringing that up, I can't, right? That that T is really defines the like when we talk about limitations, and then when you take away that T, that can the word can, to me highlights possibility, and I feel like coming from possibility, I don't know what's going to happen, but you know what? I'm coming from possibility. I'm going to show up, be vulnerable, and I'm going to trust all the hard work and all the things. So it's um, I love it. I'm I'm loving that we have this discussion. I'm again, I'm writing stuff down and learning from you. This is this is beautiful, but for the sake of time, I have a couple more questions. And yeah, be, because of what you've gone through through your whole career, which I, I want my my listeners to really read this book because there's so much incredible good stuff in it. Um, I call it goodness. But who was 
the most instrumental throughout your career? Who had the most impact on your career? Well, that, that's a uh, people may not like the answer. This answer, but it's the truth. I was so like early in my career, so sh- maybe introverted and had some doubt, had some fear that I, I learned through observation rather than sitting down with someone early in my career and just honing in on asking them questions and boom, 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 boom. So there are so many people that have impacted it from afar. Uh, some of which I've never even spoken to them. Uh, one of which is Oprah Winfrey, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I just think that what I, what I kind of gathered, a lot of things I gathered from her, but one of the things is I, I, th- I usually, always just think she talks differently. There's a different level. There's a different depth to how she talks. So I really started to try, what, what is that? And then, of course, it's wisdom. See, a lot of people have knowledge. And that's okay. That's good. Um, and I, people say knowledge is power. No, not actually. Actually not. Applied knowledge is power. Mm. Knowledge that just sits in your head, that's knowledge. That's knowledge. I, that's actually knowledge that just sits in your head, right? So when you apply it, that's when it has power. But I started to think, what is it? Well, wisdom to me is you, you take that knowledge, then you mix in your experiences right? You mix in your successes and failures, right? You mix in some time of sustained thought and then boom, that's, that's when the, that's when it pops out and becomes wisdom. So I started to try and make sure that, okay, when I learn something, let me, like, you can do two things. Like uh, even people listening to this podcast, because you're throwing out a number of nuggets that I'm writing down, (laughs) but after everything that we say today and your listeners are writing their notes as we're both talking, they have a fundamental decision to make if they want to be successful. And if they really want to make this time that they invested to listen to this podcast work for them, they can memorize what we talk about, or they can internalize. And I think the best of the best, what I've learned from say Oprah Winfrey from afar, she internalizes things when she hears something about say the word intentionality, and you can look up YouTubes on her speaking to different people who really have put tremendous deep thought into this word intentional. And you'll see how deep she has gotten with her thoughts. But she has she has molded over in her mind. So now something intentional comes out of her. It's just not regurgitated and memorized. Because in, like I always say to coaches, you go to a clinic and you learn these seven ways to defend the pick and roll. Well, when it comes to the moment of truth in the game, and you have to make your guys believe that this is the coverage we're going to use in the pick and roll. If you've memorized it, it ain't going to sell. If you've internalized it and they can see as you're explaining, uh, this is what we're going to do. Here's why we're going to do it. It comes out of every fiber and vein in your face and your words. They're going to believe that sucker. Right. (laughs) So I, so I learned, uh, sorry, I'm getting into the locker room now. I love it. Uh, But uh, but you know, so I maybe learned from her. There's things I learned from, uh, coach K from afar. There's things I've learned from Pete Carroll, uh, uh, from, uh, afar. There's things I learned from the book legacy, uh, which talks about the great rugby team. So I, 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 so many people have hit me, but I guess as I think back to it in terms of who I am and how I deal with people, probably my dad, 
Mm-hmm. He was a man of few words, but as I observed him growing up, uh, he was a guy that somehow everyone seemed to like being around him. And then I started to think more about that. Why? Well, number one, he had a, a nice sense of humor. Number two, he was very caring. You know, he, he actually still uh, uh, waited for a woman to get near the chair, pulled the chair out, let her get situated, and then pushed the chair in. Even if we were at the pool, he did that. Mm. And I'm looking around. Every other dad is trying to go get a hamburger or a hot dog real quick. You know, he just was different that way. He listened. Uh, I could tell he thought about things. I could tell that little things were important to him. We used to have to go shovel. Uh, he was a commercial real estate guy. We used to have to go shovel always around like Christmas Day, like that morning. I don't know why it always snowed that morning. It was probably to test the kids, but we always had to go shovel one of the buildings he had. And we had to get it all the way up to the point where the grass started. You know, and his, his point was, what if three people are walking down here instead of you just thinking about yourself walking down and all you need is a narrow path? Right. Wow. You know, we have to make this whole pathway available, the whole sidewalk, rather. I'm sorry. So little things like that. Um, he might. He, I, I got to believe he was the. He was the biggest influence uh, on my life, even though he wasn't a big talker. But if if you had, like, if you had good eyes, you could learn a lot from him. Now, good ears, you may not hear as much. <laughs> right. But if you watched. You learned. And that was something actually that I took the rest of my life. I, I, I you know, I say it in the book, uh, the, the three things I think I do better than anyone else in the world and anyone else can only be tied. And that is that I've gone through life with big eyes, big ears and a small mouth. Mm-hmm. Now your listeners may not believe that because I'm doing a lot of talking, <laughs> but I always say this, especially in front of, uh, I'm probably say it in front of, 50, 60% of the audiences I speak to. Um, I already know what I know. And if all I know is what I know, I don't know enough. I need to know what you know. That's how you get ahead. Mm. Right? I already know what I know. And if all I know is what I know, I, I, I don't know enough for tomorrow. I know enough for today. But for tomorrow, I need to know like more. Right. I need to know what you guys know. Yeah. Like every team you speak to, no matter what the level, high school, college, pro, you're probably like me. I, if I could put every one of those athletes up on the podium for 15 minutes and let me ask them some questions about, I don't know, success, how they work through life, what's important. I, I bet you I would learn at least something from every one of them that I could even use. I might learn something from a high school kid I could use. Hey, Doc Rivers, we had a play that we actually used in the NBA finals against the Lakers. Doc called it high school. It was actually a, uh, an out-of-bounds play that he learned when his son was playing junior varsity high school basketball. And we used it to win a championship. Wow. You see, that's the other thing you find out. The best don't care where the idea came from. If it works, use it. Why would, you, why would one of your filters be who it came from? Your filter should be, okay, here's an idea. I've really thought about it. There's some validity to this. I'm going to try it, right? Yeah. Versus, oh, no, the, 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 the janitor. 
I'll never forget the story. Now you're really getting me going. I love it. Keep going. JFK at, <laughs> JFK at Cape Canaveral, right? Back in the day when uh, we are going to the moon. He walks into um, uh, Cape Canaveral, and he's going to have some high-level meetings with some of the, uh, the, the astronauts, et cetera, there. But he goes into the bathroom, and he sees a janitor. And uh, the janitor maybe doesn't even recognize him at first. And he's apparently a really a guy. President Kennedy was a guy who likes people. So he said, oh, hi, sir. Uh, and oh, but the guy did know. And he said something like, oh, you, Mr. President, uh, welcome to our place. And he said, uh, well, young man, uh, what do you do around here? And you know what he said? What's that? I help astronauts get to the moon. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, as someone told me that story, when when that person believes that right or or that person can give you an idea who cares where it came from when steve kerr the first championship they won the most important decision they made is to insert andre Iguodala into the starting lineup and take andrew bogut out you know where that suggestion came from the youngest guy in the staff who sat on the back of the bench behind the bench he wasn't even the, the four coaches who sit on the front bench it came from that guy. Wow. And he's, that was one of the most pivotal decisions in, in, in the finals, the first year Golden State won it. So, um, you know, who, I have no idea how he even got onto this. No, but, I love uh, it. So I'm going to put a period at the end of this sentence, and then you can figure out where to take the rest of the podcast. <laughs> well, I mean, it was all about, um, you know, who was influential and who was an instrumental to you. And, and what I'm hearing is, you know, to gain wisdom, uh, to lead by example, like, you know, obviously your, your dad was that he, he didn't have a lot of words, but he, he led, he led by example, which left an imprint on you, but also for us to, to gain wisdom, like we, you and I have a lot of knowledge, but you know what? We need more and we need to seek it. Like you're talking about. Yeah. And there's, and it's so funny because I, I want to, Based off what you just said, I, I want to actually give credit to the people that I've heard this statement. But in in the spirit of what you're saying is that, you know, a lot of people have actually said this statement. And it's be more interested than interesting. And I think when you become more interested, mm. uh, you that's how you gain wisdom. That's how you, you, you mm-hmm. be empathetic. And you get to really try on that other shoe and, and learn. So... And, and again, and I'm I'm only going to say this is that I heard that statement when I was actually my last job in in uh, corporate America before I transitioned to being a mental performance coach. And then just about a month ago, uh, talking to David Metzler, I don't know if you're familiar with David, but uh, he brought that up. Yeah, and know like, the name. Yeah. I'm like, I haven't heard that since you know it's been four or five years. But you know, again, I'm do I need to give credit to those people? Maybe, maybe not. But the fact is, is that if we want to gain wisdom. And, and the more that we're actually being interested than interesting, maybe I become some, somebody that I'm not impactful for someone else because I've gained the wisdom. Yeah. And, and interested is about growth. Interesting is about self. Mm. And, uh, I just find out that the, the best of the best aren't really, they're not really in, in, they're not enamored by self. Uh, As a matter of fact, they might be, uh, gosh, I can be better than this. You know, they may have that mentality, but along these lines, there's a guy, I don't know. Do you know the name Jay Billis? He, he, yeah. 
He's ESPN. He calls yeah. college basketball. He said something to me a few years back that has really stuck with me. And he said, you know, Kevin, what we have to teach all these young coaches coming up through the profession uh, is that every person you meet knows something you don't. So keep your ears open, pay attention, ask them some probing questions to maybe get that out of them. Right. So don't just shoo a guy away because of their age, both ways. Sometimes that, that, uh, 72 year old in a, in a, in a company or a firm, all the young people think he don't know squat. Hey man, success leaves footprints. Right. And the most successful people coming up, they do three things. They find them, they follow them and they fit them. Mm. And I think those, all the young workers, they should be taking that old geezer, whether it's a him or her, out to lunch for, well, they can't afford lunch, they're too young, right? So you take them out to coffee. It's a cheaper way to get the same knowledge. That's what I did come up, right? So, uh, and, and just, you know, in your own mind, what are, what are questions that the average person won't ask? Because it's so easy for people to get bored on, like, if you ask me, hey, Kevin, what did you do to get to where you are? I might respectfully say, I, I'm not going to answer that. Why would I answer that? You didn't put any preparation into asking a, a, a question that would dive deeper than that. All you want is everything I've done based on that one question. Right. And I always tell young people, you got to earn the ask. You have to earn the ask. So, uh, you know, the word curiosity, right? That all stems from uh, question asking. And the quality of your questions determines the quality of your information. The quality of your information determines the quality of your knowledge. The quality of your knowledge determines usually the quality of your choices. So the fundamental foundational piece of making good choices is the questions you ask to gain the information, which turns into knowledge, which can turn into the best decision you can make at that time. Yeah. Wow. I love it. Man, Kevin, I I literally can speak to you for an hours because there's so much yeah. you have so much knowledge and there's so many things that that inspire me uh just not only as a mental performance coach and, and being athletics and working with performers i'm just as a human i mean there's a lot of stuff that that i'm um i'm pumped up about just hearing you and reading your book so so i want my listeners to have that experience as well so how can how can my listeners buy your book and connect with you yeah well obviously uh could definitely go to Amazon. Uh, we've had the the incredibly positive misfortune of Amazon running out of books a couple of times. So we have now kept the stock here uh, at the home office so they can, and, and we'll obviously get those out right away, but that, that would be going off of our website, Kevin Eastman, E-A-S-T-M-A-N.net. And it, you'll, they'll see it right away where they could, uh, think about ordering the book. Beautiful. And are you active on social media? Yeah, we, uh, for the most part, I do Twitter and I do, uh, one thought a day, Monday through Friday, because I want to give, uh, myself and the public a free weekend of social, uh, getting <laughs> off social media. Right. You don't have to look up Kevin Eastman because he don't have squat on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, but it's all about um, growth, development, improvement, leadership, teamwork, culture. Uh, how do I move up in my profession? It's that. It's not, uh, hey, I went to the bathroom yesterday at 2 o'clock. It's not that. Got it. It's, um, it. it's the other stuff. 
I love it. And they can just, it's at Kevin Eastman for Twitter. Yeah. At Kevin Eastman. Yeah. All right. Well, Kevin, this, uh, again, thank you so much. I'm honored to have you on my show. Uh, I learned a lot. I know my listeners are, and just having you to share your thoughts and your energy and your journey just means a lot to me. And, and thank you so much for being on my show. No, the pleasure is mine. Keep it up. The more we share, the, the more we can help other people. 